0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. Good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam on a Friday afternoon. As always, as usual, today with myself, Raza, Brother Kiyum, and Brother Daniel. Over the next two hours, we'll be with you speaking about two topics, as usual. If you want to have your say, if you want to join the conversation, you can do so on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can send us a tweet, or you can send us a comment on Instagram as well. And with that, before we go into what we are speaking about today, let me welcome my two compadres, Brother and Brother Daniel. As-salamu alaykum, peace be upon you too.
1: Welcome, salaam, peace be upon you too as well, gentlemen. I hope uh, you've had a pleasant week.
2: Peace be upon you, brothers, uh, all the listeners as well. <coughs> lovely to be here and lovely to be speaking with all of you. We have a very interesting show today. It's about Palestine in the first hour, and uh, yeah, I really look forward to talking to uh, a few
1: experts on that.
0: Brother King, what exactly are we speaking about in the first half? Today,
1: uh, what we're talking about is something that I suppose everybody's been talking about and why the International Court of Justice um, was uh, approached by South Africa to uh, lobby them or to take a case against. Uh, the occupiers of Palestine. The topic is, is what's happening in Gaza a genocide? Now, <clears throat> some people say, yes, it is. Some people say there isn't. The court said it is a plausible, uh, you know, the, the plausibility is there. So to say that it's not happening um, is is uh, definitely a no-no. The possibility that you're reaching a point where it can be declared a genocide Clearly, the court thinks so. Some people think that it already is. That is what we're going to be discussing. And, you know, it's it's more than just a word, mm. genocide. The fact that 250 <coughs> people are killed every day mm. in Gaza um, is what we are going to be talking about. We are going to be focusing on the, not the lack, the absolute absence of justice, non-existence. You know, it's, it's uh, His Holiness... Uh, the 5th Caliph of the Promised Messiah, um, Holiness uh, Mirza Masur the 5th Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may I strengthen his hand, actually said that today when he talked of Palestine <coughs> and how he talked about how the, but when it comes to the, the Western developed countries, there is no justice at the moment in this particular scenario. Um, depending on who you believe, 30,000 people now Um, Absolutely. uh, 10,000
2: children, 7,000 women, about 66,000, it is estimated, injured, of them about 8,500 children, many of them amputated without anesthesia, 6,000 odd women, and another 8,000 missing. So that's a total of about 100,000 people that have been affected, directly affected in terms of being either killed or injured in Gaza.
1: The question does come to mind, though. I mean, if one was to take away the, uh, the names of countries and just make a simple statement that, oh, look, 30,000 people have died, out of which 60 to 70% were women and children, what would, what would be the response? If 60 to 70% of the death have been women yeah. and children, well, any well, sane person... Any rational person would say, what, women and children? He, that, that's massacre, genocide. You know, so many words I, I come I think to we mind. already know the answer to that question. 1,139
2: uh, people, I think, by latest estimates, died as a result of the Hamas attack uh, on Israel on October the 7th. Mm-hmm. And only some of them were women and children. And we know uh, the amount of media coverage,
0: and even that and, number and is
2: disputed
1: called, by some. No, no, but but then those figures, it's okay to call that a genocide. Yeah, yeah. It's it. They're referring to that as a genocide. Yet, up to thirty thousand poor souls.
2: Let's go now died. straight to our first guest, who is Doctor. Sorry, Doctor. Ayash. He is the Professor of Sociology at Mount Royal University. He is an author and has published several academic articles. As-salamu alaykum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Drive Time Show.
3: Wa alaykum Thank you for having me. Uh,
2: Dr. Ayash, if I can start by asking you, uh, <clears throat> and I'm reading this out from the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide of the United Nations, Article 2 of the convention says that genocide means any of the following acts a killing members of the group b causing serious bodily or mental harm to member, to members of the group c deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part d imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group and e forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Uh, The question that I have for you is, how plausible in your eyes is is what is happening in Gaza a genocide, given that about 100,000 people have either been killed or injured in Gaza, which is close to about 5% of the population of Gaza?
3: Yes, um, absolutely. It's, it's more than plausible. It is, it is a genocide. It is clear to me. I understand uh, that international law, you know, you have to go through a court case and, and you have to, to hear uh, uh, the evidence and examine it. And, and so, so you, I understand why it would, would be using the language of plausible at this stage. But for scholars of genocide, scholars of mass uh, violence, Um, This is a clear case of genocide. And the reason we say that, by the way, um, is not just because of what Israel is doing right now and or over the last four months. Uh, We say that because we have studied and understood the nature of the Israeli state project from its founding until today. We have seen the dehumanization of Palestinians by the Israeli state, by the Zionist project prior to the establishment of the Israeli state. This has been happening for over a 100 years, where the Palestinians are viewed as less-than-human beings who you can kill without any real consequence uh we've seen the intensification of that dehumanization within Israeli society and state over the last uh 15 or so years
2: dr i uh, sorry incre- yeah apologies for interrupting israel would contest that and say that palestinians um especially groups like hamas hamas do not believe in the right of uh of uh, of the state of israel to exist so they would say that that's uh, de- isn't that dehumanization
3: It's not, because uh, in fact, when you look at um, uh, not just Hamas, but if you look at the the, the larger Palestine liberation organizations' uh, call for a de-Zionization of the Israeli state, um, they're, they're not calling for the expulsion and genocide of Israeli Jews, they're calling for the end of uh, Jewish supremacy uh, and and a settler-colonial state structure that deprives the Palestinians of their freedom and their sovereignty and commits genocide
1: against the Palestinians.
3: Uh, So there's a big difference between calling for dismantling a political structure and dismantling an entire people.
1: Uh, Dr. Ayash uh, Kayum here, peace be on you. you. You mentioned a key word there, Zionism. Um, what's actually come out over the past three months, four months or so is people actually don't know what Zionism is, how uh, and, and it's becoming more and more clearer that the mainstream media, um, even a lot of the, the political class within the Western developed world, do not want people to know the difference between Zionism and Judaism. Do you think that Absolutely. do you think that is key? to this to to this conflict
3: Absolutely, Zionism is a political ideology. It's yep. not an identity like being Jewish, uh, which, of course, anybody who's calling for the, the death and destruction of Jews—that's genocide—and they should be completely dismissed. But that, there's no serious political project right now that is trying to do that in uh, against Israeli Jews. Um, uh, what, what people are calling for with the end to the Zionist political project, and yeah. as a political project, Zionism sought to displace Palestinians, expel them from their land, and replace them with, at first, European Jews, but then Jews from around the world. So it was, it was always, in its very foundation, as a political ideology, it was always racist and settler-colonial towards the Palestinians. There's nobody that, that goes, yes, I, wanna, I want you to kick me off my land and take it and, and make it yours. Who says that? Who accepts that? Uh, that's the ridiculous uh, premise of Zionism, is that it, the world should accept. The idea that Palestinians should no longer exist as political uh, uh, as sovereign beings on their own land, and not just that, but not even exist on their own lands at all, and to become just a minority uh, for uh, within the uh, uh, from the river to the sea, uh, within what would be an exclusive Israeli Jewish uh, sovereignty in a in an Israeli Jewish state. So that's that's the problem with Zionism that needs to be named, called out, and 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 critiqued uh, as a political ideology, which is what many. Palestinians
1: do and See, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly the problem I have is people like me you my brother's sitting here in the studios would be deemed as conspiracy theorists anti-semitists not conspiracy or, ham- or anti-semitists <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, we're used to the anti-Semitism uh, being weaponized against us, uh, which is a, a shameful, shameful strategy by the Israel lobby to weaponize something as serious as anti-Semitism in the service of a settler-colonial project. It's, it's, it's one of the most shameful history uh, parts of the story as well. Um, uh, but but it's not a conspiracy theory at all. Uh, this is uh, backed by a lot of academic evidence and scholarly work. The scholarship on Zionism at the settler-colonial and racist ideology is quite significant it's a vast body of work. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just another political ideology that sought to to replicate the European colonial project in Palestine um, uh, under the banner of uh, uh, Jewish supremacy, which is, of course, uh, a hijacking of Jewish identity and the rich tradition of Jewish life. So I reject, of course, the weaponization of anti-Semitism, and I I, uh, support uh, uh, all struggles against real anti-Semitism. So uh, that is part Part of the public discourse battle that we're always engaged in um, uh, so i encourage you and your viewers as well to always um, uh, affirm the right of the palestinian people uh, to be free the right of the palestinian people to tell their story without being falsely accused of uh, being driven by the uh, 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 by anti-semitism which is simply false
0: Dr. Ayash, what do you make out of the comments and the replies that we've seen after the ruling of the ICJ by not just Israel, but uh, even before, actually, just the fact that South Africa submitted this this request to the ICJ, where you had uh, Anthony Blinken, where you had uh, our own foreign minister here at home, um, David Cameron speak about being a mistake that it's it's wrong. Uh, then the German Vice Chancellor, and then you had of course uh, uh, Bibi saying that it's a mark of shame that will not be erased for generations. What, what, what message is that sending out to to the, to the people who? Let's face it, this is not 1945, this is not 1960, this is not even the 1980s where people were only informed by what the media was telling them. We know what is happening. We see it live as it is happening
3: absolutely and their lies and, and and look all their statements are propaganda and they are a concealment of reality and and states do that they conceal reality so that they continue doing it so you just look at the Israeli state action and it's just continuing with the genocide it, it hasn't stopped um, and and we what we're seeing today you're absolutely right is an increasing gap between what people on the streets know and understand versus what their institutions are telling them and the more that these institutions continue continue, continue to live in a world of lies and propaganda, the bigger the distance Uh, uh, created between the people and those institutions, Mm. and that will have negative consequences beyond Palestine. This will have I've I've said this from the beginning there are consequences to genocide people do not forget about genocide, they don't just go oh, moving on, this is now shaping people's political consciousness, and it will continue to do so for generations to come and like I said, the consequences will be felt far and wide by people from all over the world, and, and this mistrust that is growing extremely quickly between people and these institutions will have all sorts of consequences that I can't predict right now.
2: Dr. Ash, if you were to go into this case a little bit and try to understand the the intricacies and and, uh, and actually through the reading of the Genocide Act, a part of which I did read out to you earlier, um, it doesn't mention, the Genocide Act uh, or the Genocide Convention doesn't mention numbers. It just says killing members of the group, causing serious bodily harm to members of the group. Do you have a sense of what the international court has considered to be uh, to be uh, a number where they would, a threshold uh, beyond which they would actually consider it a genocide in previous genocidal cases?
3: Yeah, so I I leave the legal questions to the legal experts um, in terms of how the court will see it. Uh, But uh, uh, we have to understand that genocide is not just about numbers. It's also about the intent to do this. So the Israeli state, like I, uh, I've said before, uh, is intent on, on committing ge- genocide. They want the total population between the river and the sea, so I'm including now the West Bank, East Jerusalem, the entire of the Gaza Strip, all of it, they want that to look as 80% israeli jewish uh, and then uh, maybe 15 10 15 20 percent palestinian um uh, and and so they want to expel palestinians from their land uh, uh, kill them uh, and so on now whether they actually are able to achieve that goal is another question but that does not so if they're unable to achieve it it does not make them not guilty of genocide it just means that they weren't successful in their genocidal operation um uh, so so that's the distinction i draw from a scholarly perspective from Legal perspective. I'll let the lawyers
1: answer that. Um, from a scholarly perspective, Netanyahu, throughout uh, the past three months, has clearly shown his intent. I mean, when he was at United Nations, the map he, the map he yes. displayed, and the actual charter of the Likud Party back in the, I think it was yep. it was in in the eighties. It's the, from the sea to the Jordan, Israel will be sovereign. Is that's the that's in their charter, and they're actually acting it out. Doesn't that, within itself, um, show intent of genocide? One
3: hundred percent, from a scholarly perspective. I'll leave the lawyers <laughs> to make these cases themselves. But yeah, this is what I mean from a, a, a scholars of genocide and mass violence and settler colonialism and expulsion of people and, and, and uh, uh, you know, under uh, studying political violence and how that works and state violence. Um, uh, this is clearly the intent of the Israeli state. Since its founding, I'll take you even back to Ben Gurion before Netanyahu and all these people came came into the onto the scene. Ben Gurion, uh, the 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 most prominent Zionist leader leading up to the creation of Israel and the first Prime Minister of the State of Israel, um, uh, he argued at that point: "Look, we didn't get everything we wanted through this war, but we have to look at it. Which is not a war; it was a settler colonial war of conquest. Um, uh, uh, We have to look at this project as a project that moves in stages." We, 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 we've now got this, let's solidify, solidify what we've conquered, and then work to expand our conquest until we do achieve the goal of, quote-unquote, the greater Israel. And by the way, those, uh, some of those uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zionist uh, right-wing groups, believe that the greater state of israel will not stop from the jordan uh, river to the mediterranean sea that it will expand into areas uh, uh, that are now part of jordan lebanon syria and even into saudi arabia Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so so this is a serious uh, um, uh, threat to the palestinian people uh, that has been constant and continuous for over a hundred years and it's only intensifying right now and the intent is very clear look I, i grew up in palestine at eight nine years old uh, in the 1980s it was not hard for me to go the israelis don't want me here they want me gone mm-hmm. it's not that difficult for you to understand that that that's the message that the israeli state sends to you as a palestinian and you you understand that from a very early age
1: um, because it's that clear <laughs> two, two questions that come to mind you're an author you write articles you you are an academic it is imperative that history is recorded in the correct manner, not from what it what not what not how it was recorded in the in the earlier days, where the supposed victors write history here, yes. um, or, or the colonialist or the imperialist or the oppressor is writing the history as to what suited their need. This is so important for future generations to know to see. Do you think? That is going to happen within your circle I, I, of expertise? Is it already happening?
3: Oh, yes. Uh, uh, we're, not be- we're never going to be silenced. They can try everything they can. We will never be erased. We will never be silenced. Our story will be told. And and this is also why things like the South African, beautiful South African and brilliant South African case was so important. Now, this is on official record at the International Court of Justice. Mm. This means that this case will be studied and talked about for years to come, ensuring the continuation of the story that every power, imperial power in the world is trying to erase. And we won't let them do it. Um, uh, and in scholarship, look—I mean, the, the whole field of settler colonial studies—there's no real debate anymore within that field. Of is Israel a settler colonial state? Is the, the, the debate has been had, and, and and convincingly, the case has been made that Israel is a settler colonial state that operates on a structure of genocide, as some scholars call it. Like the, 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 these these uh, these uh, um, recordings will persist despite all the attempts at erasure. And and it also most important. It it persists in the hearts and minds of people across the world. Um, uh, So so I urge your viewer, it's not just on scholars to keep these stories alive. They should also work hard to keep them alive. They should also educate themselves as as best as they can and read more uh, and and study more and and tell the story to their their children and to their friends and to their family. Um, This is also how how the erasure of our stories is, 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 uh, uh, you know, we fight against it, is by by keeping it uh, alive in our in our in our discourse. So this, this is really important. I do believe in the in the in the in the long term uh, uh this story will be the one that becomes the the accepted mainstream story across the world.
1: My, my final question, a little bit off the, the the topic of genocide but it's about ICJ it's about South Africa. There seems to be this this uh this challenge this resistance uh to accept the fact that that occupied Palestine is suffering from apartheid. The reason South Africa is so, um, so so adamant in taking this to to the ICJ is because they they know apartheid inside out. In fact, they themselves say this is even a more brutal apartheid. And within the Western developed world, people who are from non-white background are speaking against. Uh, or speaking up um, for the occupation, they're they're rejecting the apartheid. How how do you challenge that narrative? How do you is is it is it about everyone's been bought out, or do people genuinely believe that there is no apartheid when when it's so clearly there? And and just for the benefit of our listener. Explain why apartheid is so important in this equation
3: yes. So uh, apartheid in its basic form just means that you have a legal system and a political system that says uh, this group, based on their race or ethnicity, gets treated this way, and this group, based on race and ethnicity, gets treated this other way. One way is going to be good, and one way is going to be oppressive and destructive. Um, That's its kind of basic uh, form. Um, uh, And and it is important to understand that that is what the Israeli state is doing, that it is uh, um, uh, oppressing Palestinians on a daily basis. It's It's a constant constant uh, uh, violation of human rights uh, uh, that that the uh, uh, Palestinians experience on on a daily basis by the Israeli state. And, and, uh, um, uh, you know, what the South African uh, uh, case does, uh, most crucially, is situate this current genocidal operation within the context of settler colonialism and apartheid so that people can better understand what the real problems here are and therefore can uh... uh, start to talk about actual real solutions and alternative ways of organizing social and political life in the region uh... uh, where people can share sovereignty in the land uh, but but uh, I, I, I I do want to highlight the point that you made that was really important here, which is that uh, um, we are seeing here countries from let's call it you know for lack of a better term the global south. Um, uh, uh, refusing to accept the discourse of the Global North, of of countries like the U.S., Canada, the U.K., France, Germany, um, and and refusing to accept this idea that, no, Israel is not an apartheid state. No, Israel is not committing suicide. No, Israel is not violating Palestinian rights. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. The the majority of, of, of people in the Global South are not buying this. I would also say that the majority of people in the Global North don't actually buy this. Um, uh, uh, the, the, that, that even people who are uh, uh, saying the politicians who are saying these statements, they don't believe that they're true. Uh, it's just that the that these are imperial powers like the U.S. Uh, the pr- most prominent imperial power, that views its imperial interest in the region as the m- as their number one concern. And they will lie, they will kill, they will expel people, they will do anything to keep the money flowing towards them. Um, and this is why they view Israel as a staunch ally. They view it as an imperial outpost for them in the region that allows them to continue to uh, c- uh, secure their imperial interest in the region and indeed beyond. So, So I, I think it's less a matter of them believing the propaganda that they're saying and really the naked self-interest that's behind all of these uh, uh, misdirecting words and propaganda that is trying to uh, keep the truth away from the uh, population, and I think they do that, by the way, because I do believe—maybe I'm naive—but I do believe that if the majority of people in places like the UK, in Canada, in the US, if they're told the truth in its in its honest form of what is happening, they would not support their own government's actions in this regard. Um, uh, so, so uh, th- that's uh, you know, this is part of the. Uh, um, struggle that we're engaged with in places like Canada and the UK and the US is to try to uh, peel back this ideological curtain and try to show more people the truth of what's happening uh, on the ground in Palestine and it is a truth of apartheid and settler colonialism and genocide
2: Dr. Yash, what's your view on the provisional measures that were announced by the ICJ which did not include a call for ceasefire?
3: Yeah, so uh, look, uh, uh, I was disappointed that, that it didn't include that. I wanted all the South African demands to be accepted in whole. Um, my, uh, uh, suspicion, of course, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but my suspicion is that, uh, uh, it was a sort of compromise between the judges that if the ceasefire part was removed, that more people would vote for the other measures. Um, uh, uh, that, that's what I suspect happened. Um, and many legal scholars have pointed out that, it, so legal scholars are debating this and I leave that to them to answer, but some are saying the, the measures that are in effect are are more or less calling for a ceasefire anyway um uh, i i don't know if that's true or not uh, i was never expecting that this ruling would lead to a ceasefire the next day that was never really what this was about um uh, what i hope this does do though is create more pressure on the israeli state and its allies like the us like the uk like canada um uh, to to stop this uh, genocide um, uh, to to start using it uh, in a more aggressive way to push for BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, Sanctions campaign against Israel. Israel is not going to stop its colonial project and its genocide of the Palestinian people by being asked nicely to do that. Um, uh, so we need to put enormous economic pressure on the Israeli state. For it to change its course and its direction um, and and so people should be using this ICJ uh, uh, ruling uh, to push for BDS and start being very blunt with uh, uh, institutions be they economic political uh, educational social cultural and tell them look if you are going to continue your support of Israel if you're going to continue working with Israeli uh, uh, governments or uh, uh, government institutions or with other institutions uh, that, that are associated or that are part of the israeli state then you could be also complicit in what now is recognized as a plausible case of genocide um uh, i'm hoping that this alone would 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 start to create a little bit of uh, hesitation on the part of corporations and uh, institutions to do business with israel uh so so that's what we should be doing we should be working uh, to 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 create more pressure on the israeli state and i hope diplomats are doing that as well behind the scenes uh, but people on the ground, we should all be pushing for BDS and, and isolating the Israeli state economically and politically. This is the only path forward.
0: Professor of Sociology at Mount Royal University, Dr. Mohamed Dayash. thank you very much for, you, for your time, sir. It was a great pleasure to have you on <coughs> and uh, a great weekend ahead. And thank you so much once again. Peace upon you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. If you want to join the conversation, you can also send us a tweet at VoiceOpsalam UK or on Instagram. The Holy Quran is quite clear when it comes to the observance of justice, something that His Holiness has masood Mizam, the fifth successor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. Uh, has been stating from the past since the last two decades, actually. O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whether He be rich or poor, Allah is more re- regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires, so that you may be act may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. And I think in in this whole conversation. This is something that people have forgotten, that there is a Lord, there is a Maker, there is a God who is keeping count of every single atrocity that has been committed on either side. And that is something that the world needs to come back to. His Holiness has been speaking about this over and over again, that if we do not come back to this, if we do not, um, you know find our way back to our maker based on the things that are happening, then World War Three is just around the corner. And I was watching this morning, actually, a lot of the news outlets, they are now pursuing these words of World yeah, War Yeah,
2: absolutely. Like a lot of mainstream media is, is, yeah. uh, is now talking about it. It's uh, absolutely... Unfortunately, So let's now go straight to our second guest, who is Dr. Khadija Asghar. Dr. Khadija Asghar is a social epidemi- ep- epidemiologist and practi- practitioner specializing in preventing and responding to gender-based violence, violence against children, and mental health and well-being in humanitarian and post-conflict settings. Aslam alaikum, alaykum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Drive Time Show.
4: Peace be with you, too. I'm glad to be here.
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Asker, for joining us. Can I start by asking you, uh, as you deal with uh, with uh, mental health challenges, how big of a mental health issue do you think this is going to be for children who are seeing this horrific war day in, day out in Gaza? Yeah, that's
5: a great question. Actually, there was a study in 2015 um, which looked at uh, mental health symptoms among children aged 6 to 15 and they found that one cast had PTSD symptoms. So,
0: Dr. Khalid, so, I, I'm so, so sorry. The, the yeah. line the line is not very clear, So, which is why I think we're going to try to reconnect. Um, there's a lot of disturbance in the background. So I do apologize uh, to our listeners for that. We're going to try to reconnect to Dr. Khutija Azgar in just a minute. On, on this, you know, just c- while I was driving up to the studio, you might have heard the story about this six-year-old girl who was trapped in a car. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: There, There is no words. I mm. mean, if you don't feel for that kind of, uh, you know, these children who are going through this, this is one of hundreds of thousands of children, right? This is just one story, but because I was just listening to it right now before I entered the studio, this is a a, a six-year-old girl who was in a car with four of her other family members, her uncle, four other children, auntie, and there's a tank. She's she's talking to the Red Crescent, and she says there's a tank, and the tank starts firing. And that happened on Monday, they still haven't found her. The the way, the roads, the access, they don't know where she is. She was on the phone and she was talking to her mother. She said, it's getting dark. I'm afraid of the dark. And and so many other things. And again, again, this is just one of the many thousand stories that we have seen over the past 100 plus days.
1: Absolutely. And how Terrible. can
0: that not affect you as a human being, as a human mm-hmm. being? And the conversation that we're having right now it's not about who's right or who's wrong it's about do we still have sense of hope as far as humanity is concerned do we still see humans in in, in you know everybody who's talking about some it
2: some of this goes back to the conversation that we we're having with uh, dr Ayarsh and, yeah. and and that's about dehumanization and i think uh, palestinian as a people palestinians as a people have been dehumanized yeah. Globally, to the extent that nobody feels their pain anymore.
0: Let's try to reconnect to Dr. Azhar. Uh, Assalamualaikum, peace upon you. Hi, sorry about oh, that. Oh yes, this is much much better. Apologies for that. I think um, was something on our side. Um, but yeah, Dr. Azhar, uh, Brother Daniel asked you the question about the mental health situation of these many many children and the stories that we've been hearing over social media, mainstream media. How is that going to play out?
5: So um, there's a study in 2015 uh, that was conducted with children aged 6 to 15 in Gaza that found that one in four children had PTSD symptoms. And so if we think about that alone, just on comparison to the global scale of of PTSD, um, prevalence of PTSD is only 3.9% globally. So we're talking about less than 5% prevalence globally compared to one in four children, and that was before this conflict. So we're wow. likely to see wow. greater levels of PTSD. Um, we're likely to see as well greater levels of depression and anxiety because both of those have been linked to exposure to conflict.
2: Can you, can you just give us a sense of what sort of trauma a child would experience um, when they one of their limbs get cut off? without anesthesia? And and so, how long will yes, that, that I, sort I'll, of thing will, will stay with them?
5: So, um, you know, we talk about a range of traumatic experiences for children. And so, um, you know, having any kind of surgery is it, can be a traumatic event and especially having a uh, disability, right, having any kind of disability can be traumatic, um, but particularly if there is like loss of limbs or there's amputations and children are not able or having to endure that in without any anesthesia, that is likely to cause pretty severe physical trauma, but then there's also likelihood of mental trauma as well because there's no way, you know, they're they're in a situation which they have no control um, and in which, Also, like, the tools, other people don't have the tools to help them the way that they should. And so, um, you know, there's the direct impact to, like, physical pain, there's um, mental pain, but then there's also, you know, the long, like, the lifelong um, experience of living with a disability. And a lot of countries in the world, um, you know, are not well-equipped, are not designed well, Um, to actually accommodate people with disabilities and and to allow people with disabilities to have, like, full range of uh, inclusion into different activities. And so we're talking, you know, not just about right now, but we're also talking about long-term that there's likely to be um, exclusion, but also, you know, stigma related to having a disability and other things like that. And so, you know, it's compounding, sort of compounding mental health effects and and compounding as well physical effects um, because there can also be long-standing right, physical uh, needs related to having a disability. Um, and without adequate health care, it's difficult to get access to, to care that's needed long-term.
0: Dr. also, how, looking into, you know, what's going to come after, hopefully, when we see uh, a ceasefire, when we see where people can maybe return to what is left of their homes, that what follows after for these children how big of a responsibility does the um international community play in not just providing uh, food and water and not just humanitarian aid but as you said that you know the me- mental health aspect of things how many of 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 those children are affected by that and what what how long does it take to excuse for 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 the lack of words but to fix this
5: Yeah, I think, you know, with some with with mental health disorders, right, there's um, there can be acute mental health disorders. So actually a number of people who develop symptoms um, in the short term, long term, those symptoms may fade. But there is a substantial portion that um, have chronic symptoms long term. And so, you know, the need, for example, even just baseline, like the need for mental health services will be huge. Um, We do have a global shortage of trained professionals in mental health care and services globally. And so in when it comes to thinking about, you know, global responsibility, if we think about just even purely mental health services, right, we would need a big global mental health force to be able to adequately provide treatment and care. Um, there are different ways of, of providing care, right, and of improving mental health. And so structural interventions are things that we have been thinking about as in terms of, for example, like poverty alleviation, right, access to opportunities, access to jobs. There are ways to improve um, mental health through addressing some of those big barriers. But the truth is, you know, the, the scale is huge. We're talking about over mm. 60% of um, of housing that's been destroyed, right? We're talking about over 80% of Gazans that have been displaced. And um, that's 1.7 million people, right, and, and growing. And so, Think about what is the international humanitarian obligation. You know, all the parties who signed the Geneva Convention have an obligation right to prevent genocide. And all of the parties are obligated to act to prevent genocide and to ensure humanitarian aid, for example. And so um, this is going to take, you know, it's it's decades we're talking about that it's going to take really to not just physically rebuild Gaza right? But also um, to ensure that all of the traumatic effects, that there's actually been space for those. Um, you know, and I work on the health side, there's an entire other conversation that needs to happen about, like, what does reparation look like? What does reconciliation look like when we think about transitional justice? Right? Like, how how is all of that going to play out as well? And how is that going to happen in a way that ensures that the the damage that has been done to Palestinians is being adequately addressed?
0: Dr. Koteja Azrath, thank you very much for your time today. Um, greatly appreciate you coming on to the Draft Time Show and uh, we wish you a great weekend ahead. Um, thank you so much once again. Peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much. I, I,
1: I have a question for both of you. You, Brother Daniel, um, <clears throat> um, I think before we came on air, you were talking about how, you know, the atrocities of the 7th of October, rightfully so, you highlighted it. You, Brother Azhar, just talking about that uh, it's not about right and wrong and it's about where we're going with justice and humanity. But isn't the case that it is about right and wrong? It is. Isn't it about the fact that, yes, what happened on the 7th of October happened on 7th of October and the killing of women and children across the board is wrong. There's no denying that. No one has ever denied that. But the fact that 30,000 people are dead is not comparable. The fact that hospitals, schools, ambulances, neighboring countries like Lebanon, Syria, the Egyptian border, um, all the media facilities in, uh, um, in, uh, in Gaza, um, civilian buildings, apartment buildings, have been bombed. In fact, civilians who were told to go to the north to, for safe passage were then bombed. Um people who have been killed are journalists. they yes. have specifically to for, for for a country for a, for a, for a state that has supposedly the most modern armory, the most precise they can they can kill an ant in the desert, yet indiscriminate bombing. and then they say, well we don't we, we and then they say, well, Hamas is everywhere' When a wrong is a wrong, we should call it a wrong no they have targeted doctors specifically they have targeted journalists specifically they have targeted nurses they have targeted professors hmm. precisely their homes have been targeted i was
2: quite i it was i found it quite interesting uh and poignant that the Uh, In the provisional um, measures that the ICJ announced, they actually quoted some of the statements that were made out by um, members um, of the Knesset, members of the Knesset, the Israeli president, sitting Mm -hmm. president, members of uh, the cabinet, sitting cabinet of Prime Minister Netanyahu. So, yeah, I think to your point, I think the world is um, is taking cognizance, cognizance, cognizance of that. Mm. And the world understands the that there is a responsibility.
1: It's more than a responsibility. You see, I I get to a point we were talking about the mental health and and the effects of these things. And then you think it has been a it's been a choice that water has been cut, electricity, electricity has been cut, internet has been cut, fuel supply has been cut. Um, now they are going after the aid. They're looking to cut that. Yeah. They are cutting um, delivery of medicines. They are cutting. They are bombing ambulances for crying out loud. Um, mm. Now UNWRA um, are being targeted. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the 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 Belgian um, uh, funded um, facility in Gaza has just been bombed Great. because Belgium refused to stop. Uh, the, mm. the, the, they refused to stop the aid. Slovenia refused to stop the aid. Spain refused to stop the aid. But for, 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 for the life of me, I do not understand why we as United Kingdom have stopped aid. Why? Because supposedly 12 people from UNWRA who uh, are supposedly, allegedly, nothing proven yet, were, were assisting Hamas. Yeah, based on on an on allegation, it's an allegation.
0: And, and and the funny thing was, I was listening to uh, a, a spokesperson of UNRWA from two thousand seven to two thousand twenty, and he basically, uh, you know, the Into, the, the, the whole inter- you know, they they took action. There's twelve people um, out of what was it? They have thirty thousand exactly. Or, 12. Or, 12. Or, so yeah, on, on that actually, k-
2: on that, brothers. So um, Sky News has recently got. Uh, with um, uh, their Middle East correspondent actually written an article on this uh, on Sky News and they have said that actually the evidence that was presented to them or shared with them by Israeli intelligence stated that actually it was six and not twelve six employees uh of anra out of twelve thousand. That are there, that are present mm. in um, in Gaza, thirty thousand. Because UNRWA remember, mm. uh, is for is the agency for Palestinian refugees, which are there in Jordan, which are there in Lebanon, which are yeah. there in Gaza, in West Bank. So it, multiple places. Uh, so as far as Gaza is concerned, you know there are twelve thousand employees, UNRWA employees, just in Gaza, and we're talking about six and not twelve here. Uh, this is according to the article that uh, was. Uh, Uh, given out by Sky News on the 30th of January. And then one day later, uh, on the 1st of February, Sky News uh, has come out with another article and it has said that it actually has not seen proof after seeing the evidence that UNRWA aids Hamas uh, after Israel presented all the evidence uh, or shared the evidence with Sky News. So I read and I quote uh, Sky News' article says, After reviewing the Israeli report evidencing the country's claim that the United Nations Relief and Work Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, is involved directly with Hamas in Gaza, Sky News reports that the documents provide no concrete proof to back the claims. Mm. According to the documents, accusations fly thick and fast alleging the involvement of UNRWA staff in aiding Hamas, ranging from kidnapping Israelis to se- securing humanitarian aid for the Gaza Strip under Hamas's influence. Israeli sources contend that approximately 12,000 UNRWA employees in Gaza Strip, about 10,000 are Hamas uh, <laughs> operatives and about 50% are first degree relatives with a Hamas oh, operative. The, inter- the intelligence um, documents make several c- uh, claims that Sky News has not seen proof of and many of the claims, even if true, do not directly implicate UNRWA. This, according to the Middle East correspondent Alastair Mankel of Sky News, um, end of quote.
1: Really? I mean, and that's news, and that they, they think, you know, yesterday we have name, credible evidence. We yes, have this. Yesterday, we have that. my neighbor came and saw me we and need. looked at my white beard and said, "Oh, I didn't know Santa Claus." So, I, so, so, I here's converted my, to Islam. so, brothers. Here's my take on this. You know, come on. I mean, so, the,
2: so, this is my take on this. So, so you know, what, 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 what? I, I think the, there's a pattern here, and the pattern that we see is, and, and, and so, this is my personal take, uh, and the pattern that I personally see out this is that anything which is which is supporting the Palestinian cause or Palestinians, is debunked or made controversial by Israeli government, whether that's United Nations, whether the United Nations Secretary General Antoni Guterres, whether that's anybody.
1: I don't have a problem with that. i tell you why. They've lost the war. They will do anything as a... The the the, the occupier, the illegal occupier. Well, they will contend that they haven't lost the war. No, no, but of course they haven't. They will contend it, but strategically, morally, they've lost the war. Simple. My issue is with UK, USA, Germany, um, uh, Italy. My issues with these people. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Absolutely. It's it's disappointing. It's worse than shameful. Hmm. It is worse than Hmm. shameful. They forget. The year of twenty twenty four is year of what? Anyone? Elections. Elections. God will not forget. This will not be forgiven. Ever. I, you can change your words and right. you will. You will, And you know what? You will change your words. In a month's time, in two months' time, you will change your words and it will be too late. You see, there's an inherent hypocrisy here as well, which is that... The height of
2: it. G- g- when... Uh, You know, when, uh, well, uh, what, thousands of children have been killed. And when, again, I think it was on Sky News as well, they showed a uh, a video uh, a few days ago of this man who had this white flag and he was trying to cross and go into one part of Gaza uh, to the other. And he was shot down and this was all uh, in broad daylight and was shot. um, Yeah. yeah. uh, ITV. uh, ITV, I beg your pardon, yes. Uh, And the typical. Response. Forget about Israeli response. Israel is a party to the dispute. You're absolutely right. Let's talk about the other, uh, yes. the other country. So the typical response from uh, from a number of Western countries was, "Yeah, let's let it investigate. Oh, we will see. I mean, we we have to investigate. We have to see." On the other hand, Israel just comes up with an accusation that twelve, UNRWA, employees and 50 percent of our employees are actually Hamas associates and everybody just believes it and but
0: when that's when, the problem and, prob- and when did they come up with that well, you know when this the, 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 the day the ICJ judgment yes, was announced the exactly. same day the same evening now it was announced you think about it yeah. th- this case w- goes into the record books this has never happened before. It's on the record. So whatever happens in the next 100 years, it will be on record that this case took place. Hmm. And now, when, when was this announced? I think a week. Last week, we spoke about it very briefly yeah. uh, or the week before. And are you hearing anything about it? You don't. It, yeah,
2: it's, it's gone. What is
0: dominating the news now it's is all
2: UNRWA. Is, is all UNPRA. and it's like, and unfortunately the the news now is that this country has now backed out of uh, providing exactly. funding, and now that country, and now it's ten, and now it's eleven, and now it's twelve.
1: It's a, it's a game. It's a you know it's shameful. You're right. It's it's and and you know fine. You know what? So you've cut the aid, but remember, it's God Almighty. Who? But it, I will. It is God let, Almighty. You, you're absolutely yeah. right, brother. But
2: but if I can I, just I, add one more point to that, I, and and that relates to what His Holiness has Mr. Masood said in the Friday sermon today, and that is that you know the responsibility. Then hmm. have we? How many Muslim countries have you seen raising their hands to say that yes, we will come and we will backfill this gap? We will we will donate out of the oil money, the billions of dollars yes. that we earn These every year. These are the year. words that he used. It's the, not
0: just the Arab countries; the oil-rich Arab countries. Yes, he used. and and. The, the problem here is that
1: that I agree, his, uh, you know, his holiness as a Muslim, the fifth caliphate, the promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, has rightfully so. And he's been he's been highlighting that from day one, day one yeah. about the the impotency of the Arab League of Nations and the oil rich nations. Apathy. You know, it's 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 unbelievable. But then but then. All of these supposedly developed Arab nations, supposedly developed uh, 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 nations within the West, they forget. And this is what they're forgetting.
0: They are not God. This is the whole problem, Brother Guillaume. This is the whole issue. If we had a sense of there will be questioning, there will be a sense of accountability. Look, yeah. when you talk about elections, right? Yep. Um you, you see and you hear the change in rhetoric, you hear the change in, 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 the, in the ideas and in the approach of different political parties across the world, not just here, in the, across the world, because you want to appease, you want to appeal, you want to please your votership. But that's for worldly gains. You yes. will stay here. You will be in power for four years or eight years or what? I don't know. And that's the end of it but that's just the beginning of it though my point is
1: i agree with you yeah you know it, I, yeah you're right my my point is i agree with you but that is the beginning of it but then this is not something that will stay with you within this world but this will go over in your afterlife whether
0: you believe it or not it is something that will go over of course and the problem not the problem but we cannot the reality i of cannot it. expect that from a from a religious, from a theological point of view, from uh, a country which, so-called Christian country, mm. or someone that doesn't associate themselves to Islam, but again, the the tragedy is, and this is not just us saying, is this is every single video that emerges from from the Gaza Strip, every single video that you see from a Palestinian who has been affected by this conflict in one way or another. Who is was calling out, who was holding the Arab nations, the Muslim nations to account that you knew you had a responsibility, but you didn't do what you were supposed to. You failed, to do. In you your failed miserably, miserably in the eyes of the Palestinians, in the eyes of the world, and most most importantly, in the eyes of God. The prophet who was the mercy for mankind, the one who laid out rules and regulations even for situations of war, that prophet was sent to you. you speak his language, but you still fail to understand miserably what he left behind as a legacy and that again is something that only God will judge. We're no one to judge anyone at any place in any form way or shape, but to remind and to 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 remind each other of the responsibility that is on their shoulders. I think that's our duty and that we have to take serious, regardless of what the consequences are. We will continue with this very briefly after the news of, okay. uh, uh, um, at 5. We'll, we have to go to the news. And then after that, we'll be back. Uh, and we're going to speak about the second topic as well, which is antibiotic resistance. Um, as always, if you want to give us a call, do so. If you want to send us a tweet, do so. We're going to go to the five, 5 o'clock news. And then we'll be back after that. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: Assalamu Alaikum, with the peace and blessings of God, Almighty be upon you all. Welcome back to the Draft Tom Show sure here on the Voice of Islam. Today with myself, Reza, Brother and Brother Daniel. We're speaking about um, something that. I- you know what, I, before we even started with the show, I I, I I thought to myself that there must be a lot of people, again, there's always opinions on both sides, but the question that is what what's happening in Gaza, genocide, I think this is a question that people probably even smile about it now, because it's so obvious, it's so... Um, clear to 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 most of them, but again, you will always find people who will defend that. But what we were speaking about before, just just before the break, was the responsibility and the duty of the so-called Muslim countries, who, in the beginning, I have to say, were quite outspoken. You had Jordan, you had uh, some of uh, them, so, some of them. of them, Egypt, yeah, some of them, of course, but. You don't hear anything anymore, do you? Yeah. There's, 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 it's complete silence now. So having, I think everybody is hoping that uh,
2: a deal is reached, uh, uh, which Qatar is trying to, uh, yeah. to mediate between Hamas and the Israeli government. And unfortunately, that is also not happening. And nobody is doing anything else. Nobody has even come up yeah. to say that they will actually support. Um, uh, these poor people in Palestine. If an, another government, another Western government, actually backs out of UNRWA funding, something th- these people desperately need, that is the only agency yeah. which has the uh, the wherewithal and the logistics uh, and the experience to support the the number of people who need support.
0: And now that everybody has been driven to 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 Rafa, it's unfortunately I, I don't like to say it, but it's just a matter of time, probably, as some people are saying. Until they are bombed,
2: no, no. So that's been announced. Actually, it is. So uh, Israeli government has announced that their next uh, target, target is
0: Rafa. is Rafah. Listen to
1: uh, me, listen listen to what you guys are saying. Mm. They're announcing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're Absolutely. announcing. No, no. So, so you, like, you know, here's the chronology. Yeah, uh, no, no. here's the chronology.
2: So, so first they said all people from uh, you know, I think October sixth or the uh, sorry October eighth or ninth, they said. Everybody in the north of the Gaza Strip should move to Khan Yunis. These were the words yeah. used by the Israeli um, um, uh, Israeli government, uh, as well as their representatives on uh, on media. And then they bombed Khan Yunis. And then over the last few um, uh, few days, they have been saying, uh, well, actually, last few weeks, they've been saying, move to Rafah, and move to Al-Mawasi which is a, a supposedly a safe area, which has also been bombed. Can you believe it? al mawasi which is a declared, self-declared safe zone of the Israeli government, has also been bombed by the Israeli government. And, and the next on target, as announced
1: by the Israeli government, now is Rafah. We're sitting here trying to define genocide. Yet, they're announcing who are they going to bomb. Well, an they, area which they shouldn't be bombing.
2: But but in an the
1: area they shouldn't even be present. But
2: in in their defense brother Kim, what what they're saying is they are, they are targeting Hamas um activists so and, and Hamas the, the, uh, defending the course, indefensible. Of
1: course they are. Well hold on. Uh, his holiness uh, the Pope John uh, no, sorry Pope uh, Pope John Paul died uh, no, no, sorry. a few decades ago. The the pope currently. Yeah, Francis. Pope Francis. Pope yeah. Francis. He has categorically said he has referred to these actions as terrorist. Is he also?
2: Well, that's a, is you he can also say that a supporter
1: his, of Hamas? Th- I mean, that's come his view, on. right? Every single person that's his, his view. who highlights a wrong is a member of Hamas. Let's get real. A genocide, this is the sins of sin, where you are announcing that you're going to kill children, women, elderly, disabled. And as I, as I say, fine, it's war. You're going to do that, but for the life of me, I do not understand. USA, UK, this is my country, hmm. not in my name. Hmm. Do not kill innocent people in my name, and that is what you're doing. And wrong is a wrong. There is no, um, there's no way to um, to ease, um, you know, the definitions. Of the 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 war crimes, the the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the apartheid. Twenty twenty four. It's just wrong. It's so wrong that I I, you know, I can sit here and and I think it's always I was... wrong, but in twenty twenty four, it's just unthinkable. Well, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. And, you know, I was listening to an interview of, of uh, Motaz, the, the journalist. Yeah. And he says, you know what? It's not about likes anymore. Yeah. It isn't reposts. It, it, it's more is needed. And more is needed. And I will go back to it. And yes, I know, brother, as I said, that's a worldly uh, um, stance that one takes. But one's got to do something. This is year of election. I, I will change the way I think because I will not allow it in my name. And I will not support people who support genocide, who support war crimes, who support the killing of women and children. And then when it suits their need, they will come on TV and say, oh, we're sorry. Or we got it wrong. Your words will be hollow. Yes, this is my personal opinion, but I will raise my voice. That is my right. A vote is my right and i will exercise
0: it and you should and you definitely should and we should never ever stop talking about Palestine and i think this is again this is a very i think good message to end it on this this is we can we can have our our impact this is one of the one of the privileges that we enjoy in, in this society, that you can have an impact on the politics of the country. You can make your voice heard. We see it every weekend here in London where thousands of people go to these peace marches um that that are that are being organized. And that's one way and we, we have his holiness has encouraged us as well to use every single avenue available to us in within within the limits of the law. To to make your voice heard, spare people punishment as far as you can and give them the benefit of every available plea. For it is better for a judge to err towards leniency rather than to err towards punishment. This is one of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Would like to continue, would like to finish off. This part of the show with a statement of His Holiness, uh, the 5th Caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat (laughs) Mirza (laughs) Masood, Ahmad May Allah be his helper, he stated that if we truly want peace in our time, then we must act with justice. We must value equality and fairness. As the Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, so beautifully stated, we must love for others what we love for ourselves. We must pursue the rights of others with the same zeal and determination that we pursue our own rights. We should broaden our horizons and look at what is right for the world rather than what is only right for us. These are the means for peace in our age. And what a beautiful way to express that. We're going to continue with the second topic uh, after we've taken a very, very short break. Um, Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Um, the, The second topic, as I mentioned before, is about antibiotic resistance is it a hidden pandemic yes or no this is the drive time show. you're listening to myself Reza, brother human brother danielle don't go anywhere stay with us just a very very short tiny break Allah.
1: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
0: Assalamu Alaikum <laughs> Peace upon you and welcome back to the Draft Time show. Antibiotics has been hailed as one of the greatest medical achievements of the 20th century, having played a pivotal role in saving countless lives by effectively treating bacterial infections. However, the misuse and overuse of these wonder drugs has given rise to a formidable challenge of antibiotic resistance. And that resistance occurs when bacteria evolves and develops the ability to withstand the effects of antibiotics, which means that the antibiotics that were once effective in treating bacterial infections has become less or completely ineffective. And this global health crisis poses a significant threat to public health health. Our first guest for today to speak a little bit more on this topic is Dame Sally Davies um, and we're going to speak to Sally about this issue and about this uh, this, this topic. She has a master of Trinity uh, at the Trinity College, Cambridge. She was appointed as the UK government' special envoy on antimicrobial resistance in 2019 and has also served as the chief medical officer for England and senior medical advisor to the UK. Government, Sally, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show.
6: Hello, how nice to be here.
0: Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, in your eyes, you've uh, you know, worked in this for, for quite some time. What do you believe are probably the most critical aspects of antibiotic resistance that the public is not aware of, but should be?
6: Well, I think I'd like to start with the deaths. We know that antimicrobial resistance, um, antibiotic resistance actually, kills more people each year than die of malaria, HIV or TB. Yet it goes unrecognized. And when children under the age of five years die, one in five is because of antibiotic resistance. And actually, AMR underpins... 5,000 deaths a year, so it's the third most important underlying cause of death across the world. And the second point I'd like to make is while we need antibiotics to save lives, whether human or animals our food chain, more antibiotics are used in animals, a lot for non-veterinary purposes, than in humans. So this is what's called a One Health issue. And it overflows from the humans and animals into our environment. There's increasing evidence on the links and drivers between AMR and climate change and also biodiversity loss. So an example here to think about is a study on rivers in 104 countries which found contaminants from antibiotics in over a quarter of the samples with the highest concentrations, sadly, in low- and middle-income countries. So I think that's all important. And I just want to emphasize before I hand back that often people think AMR happens to people. It doesn't. It's as you so well explained. It's our bugs that evolve and the drugs become less affected. So we're all impacted by this and by humanity's behavior in how they use antibiotics.
0: Sally, how do we... How do we challenge? how How do we overcome these challenges actually? I mean, is it is it the pharma industry that needs to be upping their game? Is it people who need to be aware of, of of the challenges that it might not work all the time? where Where does the responsibility lie?
6: Well, we all bear a responsibility. At an individual level, we need to try and prevent infections, so that's washing our hands, um trying to use, and it's not possible in all countries, in all places clean water, and we must separate drinking and cooking water from soil and um, you know, sanitation. Hmm. So vaccines are important for preventing infections, but then we have to use antibiotics properly. We have to steward them. And many people, at least in the global north, use antibiotics when they've got virus infections or self limiting bacterial infections they need to make sure that they really are taking them for the right reason but we've got many more problems than that we have an empty pipeline of new drugs so if you've got very resistant gonorrhea it may not be treatable for instance and across the world we don't have as good data as we need on what's going on so we need to develop surveillance so that we have the data to inform individual patient management, but actually policy at the local and national level.
0: Sally, so do you think our GPs are up to date with all of these developments? Do you think they're well equipped? Do they? Do you think they have the time that they need to assess each and every single patient to give them the the, the right medication?
6: GPs start with a very good education and they do know when it's likely to be a viral infection that won't respond and when antibiotics are needed. Of course, not all patients will listen and we need to keep educating the public and updating GPs. And they've done very well in reducing usage. There's further to go. In Britain, we're now moving into letting pharmacists prescribed but I've been personally very carefully through the guidelines and I think if they stick to the guidelines and are respected by the patients and not pushed to give antibiotics when they're not needed then it should be all right but there's a lot of education needed and the poorer the country the less easy it is to look after our antibiotics and educate everyone involved
1: Hi Sally, peace be on you. Skayum here. We we talked of the pharmacist. We've talked of the GP. We we tend to look um, locally to blame for antibiotic resistance, or we look for answers, I, would, I should say. But isn't is it not that big pharma just have not invested in new antibiotics, which is why? The, the, which has kind of d- driven the resistance in antibiotic from from a source perspective?
6: So um, I think it is very complex and we can all individually do better and our health systems can do better, as can our food systems. But I absolutely agree. Here we are with an empty pipeline in R&D from Big Pharma. Yep. That represents a market failure most antibiotics are generics made predominantly in india and some in china and they are sold incredibly cheaply Mm. so there isn't enough money to make sure that they're not contaminating the environment there but it also means that health systems including our own in britain doesn't want to pay a lot for antibiotics so there's no money in it for pharma to develop new ones Actually, in Britain, we've been piloting and now we're putting into practice a new mechanism of paying for antibiotics that if all the rich countries picked up, this problem would be solved. And it's what's called a pull mechanism. It's a bit like the Netflix subscription. We evaluate the drug and the antibiotic, and if it helps the patient enough and it helps, like a fire extinguisher, protect the community then we will pay a subscription for it, year on year, so they know what their income is, however little or much we use. And farmers say that's a very good way of doing it.
2: Dave Davies, please help me understand um, the um, the issue here. So, in terms of uh, the the problem at hand, which is you know whether it's uh, whether to um, uh, how to discover if it's a viral infection or a bacterial infection? I think that's at the heart of the discussion we're trying to have. Um, is there enough funding available to the local pharmacies, uh, sorry, sorry, to the local um, uh, GP surgeries to be able to to make that distinction for the patient?
6: Well, the original um, distinction is made clinically when I was an a- active as a pediatrician i would look at the back of a child's throat and if it was just red it was you know 99.9 percent likely to be viral but if there was exudate pus there then it was likely to be bacterial there are tests and some pharmacies and some gps have put these into into practice which help discriminate but there are algorithms and if they work through them they will give a good service to the patients and protect our antibiotics.
2: How do you see this, um, this progressing uh, globally? Do you think we're winning this war against resistance?
6: No, we're losing the battle. It is going, uh, Resistance is going up and up, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia, So this year is very important. We have at the UN General Assembly, at the end of September, a high-level meeting in the week that heads of government are there on antimicrobial resistance. And we need to agree a number of things there that will move the whole world on. And they aren't dreadful things, you know. We need to agree that we're going to help poor countries get access to antibiotics and innovation. We need to agree to push for clean water sanitation, infection prevention control and infection, yeah, things like that. We also want to make sure that countries can collect their surveillance data and feed it into the UN agencies like the World Health Organization, the Food and Agriculture Organization, so we can begin to have baselines of where people are and what needs doing.
1: Uh, Sally, one final question, maybe going off on a bit of a tangent, um, so forgive me for the question, is do you think alternative medication or alternative medicine has also kind of increased antibiotic resistance? As a, alternative
6: medicines have not increased resistance. Um, Some heavy metals can contribute to resistance, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we need to do is make sure that patients get the right treatment at the right time. And some of that is just supportive. If it's a viral infection, paracetamol, drinks and warmth and rest are what's needed. So a holistic approach is right. But it's about antibiotics for when there's a bacterial infection that needs them.
1: Wonderful. Professor Dame Sally Davies, thank you so much for taking time out on the Drive Time Show for us. I wish you a fantastic evening and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. Antibiotic resistance. Do you resist? And
0: you, <laughs> you do too. I I I learned it the hard way you know what yeah. for example um I had I had a tonsillitis issue right so um this went on for I think a good year or two years and learned a lot about it and um if you that's one 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 thing that I learned that if you don't complete the course it will come back with a vengeance a lot stronger a yeah. lot more 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 powerful And then, if you take antibiotics, the chances of you recovering...
2: You can't take the same antibiotic. It it, it, it won't
0: work.
1: You will develop resistance. The Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said there is no disease that Allah has created except that he has also created its treatment. Islam is a progressive religion. It looks um, for preservation of life. Medication is... Uh, something uh, innovation or advancement in a, in in uh, um, in medication and treatment um, of uh, ailments um, of uh, um, longevity of life is something that is embraced in Islam. So, from from a way of life point of view, you know, it is it is something that should actually be encouraged. Would you say, Imam
0: Reza? Hmm. Of course. I
1: mean, you know, you're the you're the you're the doctor. You're the doctor in the house of um, voices. Um, I am no doctor in the house. Yeah, maybe I could, could you're play. The, the, the resident better. doctor. The spiritual resident, doctor. You're, yeah. you're the you're
0: the you're the spirit doctor. Yeah, the spiritual <laughs> doctor, I can I can say that. But
1: you know the reason I ask, a lot of people use religion as an excuse yeah. to stay away from medication <clears throat> no. because yeah. it's progressive, they think there is innovation, they think you're playing God. Whereas it's actually the total opposite. It is.
0: Yeah. I, I think uh, what the promised Messiah, the founder of the Muslim community has, has said on this, uh, I'm sure there's narrations on this as well, but this is the one that pops into my head uh, first. When when he speaks about um speaking about certain verses of the Holy Quran where God Almighty says that to put your trust in, in God, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things that, oh, it's Western medicine, it's in, invented and, and, and produced by the disbelievers and whatnot. So I'm talking about extreme cases here. Um, the basic knowledge comes from the Muslims, right? So scientific and, and medicinal basic knowledge comes comes from the Muslim world. We don't want to get into the details. I mean, that's a different show for a different day. But when it comes to the means available, so the, the Holy Quran and, and the promised Messiah, they speak about, you know when you have a camel, right? When, when the Trust means that you tie your camel to the best of your ability, you make sure that the camel doesn't go anywhere, and then you trust on God Almighty to do his bid. But if you say, oh, I'm just going to leave the camel there, and God will take care of it, and the camel runs away or walks away, and then you blame God for it. That's wrong, right? Mm. So our responsibility is to make sure that we utilize um, all the means possible at our disposal, which includes vaccinations, which includes you know medicine and whatnot, um, and then leave the rest up to God. Of course, not ever um, forgetting prayer, which is the first and foremost thing. But... And nowhere, no um, narration, no school of thought. Well, maybe school of thought. But uh, the Holy Quran does not forbid you from from taking medicine. However, if you put your life in danger knowingly, on purpose, <clears throat> that is not a
1: good thing to do. So what are the measures to prevent antibiotic resistance? Antibiotics should be taken or prescribed only when needed, for example, to treat bacterial infections such as sepsis, meningitis, pneumonia. According to the English Surveillance Program for Anti-antimicrobial Utilisation and Resistance, during the COVID program, or the, the sorry, um, during the pandemic, the total number of bloodstream infections fell in 2020 for the first time since 2016. This is thought to be due to changes in people's behaviour, less social mixing, better hand hygiene, and more remote consultations during the COVID-19 period. The UK Health Secretary, or the UK Health Security Agency's chief medical officer, Dr. Susan Hopkins, said that anti antimicrobial resistance in hidden uh, pandemic and serious antibiotic and antibiotic resistance infection will rise again if we do not act responsibly. And the, prescri- the prescriptions of antibiotics have been falling for a number of years with penicillins showing the greatest fall in prescriptions but there is a rise in antibiotics prescriptions by dentists for the first time in many years. Um, you know, recently, I was uh, reading this article, and there's so many diseases and illnesses which had been eradicated hmm.
2: made a comeback. and they've made a comeback.: Polio, for example, measles,
1: measles is another example.: yes, yes. I mean forgive my ignorance hmm. do you th- Do you think that this resistance plays a part in that? or are they two separate different kettles of uh two Kettle different pes- discussions
2: yeah <laughs> i yeah great question i think there there is there is um, some truth to the fact that i there is resistance uh, there as well but i think it's also a factor of measles and polio for example mm-hmm. or also a fact factor of the whole population not being fully immunized mm-hmm. uh against the those particular diseases uh with the vaccine that that's Available as well.
0: You could probably ask our next guest, Professor Ruth Massey, who is a professor of micro- microbial pathogenicity at the University of Bristol. Ruth, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Drive Show.
7: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Thank you very much for joining us today. Brother Kium had a question about some of the diseases that made a comeback. Brother Kium.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, hi. Uh, good afternoon. Peace be upon you, Ruth. Uh, my my question, just a thought, was that the the comeback of a lot of diseases in, in in recent years is that something to do with resistance, or are they connected in any way?
7: Yes, some some of them are. So, I mean, there's different reasons for for different diseases. So, so like I think you mentioned um, measles. Being, I mean, that that's absolutely a, a drop off in vaccination rates um, because of the, there was a paper published that's been since sort of absolutely discredited connecting uh, the MMR vaccine with autism. And it's, uh, was, it was a massively flawed study and, and um, it, but it had a ripple effect. You know, people got frightened um, to, to vaccinate their children, obviously worried about, you know, damaging them in that way. And, and that's, that's, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody in any doubt that that's the reason why we're getting the rise in, in, in measles. Now, something like tuberculosis is a little bit different. And um, that's, it, lots of contributing factors in, it, to that, but antibiotic resistance would be a part of that. That uh, and a goal, We also the vaccine that maybe and I certainly was vaccinated I grew up in, in in Ireland, and we vaccinated uh, part of the childhood routine vaccination. So I would have been vaccinated by with a with a, a vaccine called BCG, and that was very protective. But it 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 was not perfect. It was a vaccine that that had caused um, some problems in people with underlying. Uh, health conditions and so there was a bit of a worry about whether we should be using it and we, we got the numbers quite down you know the, the public health and the was, was good but i think the immigration and lack of vaccination then the numbers have, have been you know creeping up again so it's, it's uh, and yeah resistance is emerging tb is a very tricky one to treat because you need to take mm-hmm. antibiotics for quite a long time and it's very difficult to get people to, to take their antibiotics for that length of time so there's lots of kind of Contributing factors that all all lead to, to the mess that it is.
2: Ruth, the the whole debate around antibiotic resistance. How pressing do you think is the problem?
7: I mean, it, it's very. I mean, I think if if you're if you're a relatively healthy person, you you hopefully won't. Um, have any trouble with it, but it's 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 you know we, we if if you're very young or very old or you have underlying health conditions, that they're the the, the, the people who will have the biggest problems with with it. Um, so it's it's huge. I mean, that the, the deaths across Europe we're talking about you know about forty thousand deaths across the EU from antibiotic resistance infections, and these would have been things that should be should be treatable. You know, ten years ago they would have been treatable.
2: What do you mind, Ruth? Is the role of education in shaping a responsible use of antibiotics among healthcare professionals and the public um, at large?
7: I think I think healthcare professionals are, are, are pretty hot on it. They're 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 you know on, you know understand it and and uh, you know I think that that has been through education. Obviously, I think the general public, you know, some some understand it and obviously some don't. I think things like um, you know, I think one of the most common reasons people go to, to, to see their GP is, is you coughs and cold, certainly this time of year and, and you know, with an expectation that they should get antibiotics that they'll make them better. But most of those coughs and colds will be from a virus, in which case the antibiotics won't work. So things like that, you know, trying to get people to go, well, am I do I really need antibiotics are or, or, or you know, maybe expecting there's an expectation I, I think people are getting better and I think GPs are, are getting better at, at um, pushing back a bit and saying well let's wait till you've had this cough you know 10 days or 14 days before we go down the route of giving you antibiotics because mo- most most of those type of infections will clear up in you know 10 to 14 days uh, as your immune system builds up its, its immunity to it so so I think education is important for the general public because again it's just helping them understand why they're being told no and why they're not being given antibiotics and maybe lessening their expectation to be given them. Do you
2: think Destining has a do you think testing has a role to play in in all this? Um, in the example that you just quoted, for example, you know, could we not find out earlier on, within the first seven days, if this cough actually wouldn't go in fourteen days' time because it belongs to a certain category of viruses, for example, or bacteria? Um, there's
7: there, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of interest in trying to develop a test that will. Quickly tell the difference between whether it's a bacterial or a viral infection, and there's a there's a the Longitude Prize a, a, that, that's out there that will you know that's definitely encouraging people to work in that direction. It's 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 expensive, I think, is a problem, and mm. you know with a, you know with a public health service as, as it is, it's it's something that is tricky to see how it would be implemented because of how frequent coughs and calls are. But it, it, it's it's on the radar, and people are trying to mm. trying to develop these tests for sure.
2: What role does surveillance play in understanding and responding to antibiotic resistance on a larger scale?
7: It's it's, I mean, it's critical. It really is. It's huge. And and um, you know the UK is one of the world leaders on this with our genome sequencing and um, really at the forefront of it. Um, I think there's a, there's actually there's a paper from the University of Birmingham this week as well about. Um, they discovered a, a really nasty e coli strain and um, that was very very virulent and very drug resistant in in, in chinese hospitals so we're, the uk is quite at the forefront of of this type of work so um it's it's hugely important it's it's you know, you, you know at, at lots of levels so like within the hospital there'll be an infection control team and when they get an outbreak they can work out where it came from by, by the surveillance and sometimes it's you know, it could be a, 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 a colonised healthcare worker. It could be something in the water. It could be, you know, lots of different features. But that's so that's critical to to find the source because that will stop. You know, you find the source and and you can stop any further infections. But then, you know, look more globally, you can start seeing where. Antibiotics are overused or misused, or you know, you know, it, it's quite strict. It's quite tricky actually, once to get antibiotics in in the UK, but there are countries where you can just buy them in the shop. So, you know, you can see that 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 the, the damage that that can have, um, and it's also about how how people use them. If if you get a course of antibiotics in the UK, you know, they they, they really encourage you to make sure that you finish the complete course enough less surveillance but again if you if you're buying it you know from a shop without those instructions it can be really problematic but yeah i mean surveillance is critical both for trying to work out where the problem is coming from so that we can try and fix it but also then trying to predict where it's going so again we can put things in place to try and stop it getting any
2: worse why do we not see organizations like who Playing a more front-footed role in in all of this, especially in terms of, as you mentioned, in some countries you can buy them, buy antibiotics off the shelf. But we don't yeah, see any yeah. concerted global effort, do we?
7: Yeah, um, yeah, there would be. So, so uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, WHO. I mean, they would they would have a lot of. Um, they would probably go more educational route in terms of providing the information um, to countries, governments, scientists about it. Certainly for TB, there's a very big push to try and really get that because that, that's there are strains of, of of tb out there that are resistant to everything it's you know it's, a, it's pretty much a death sentence if you are diagnosed with it so so they i think they are there's a, there's, there's, some of the problems are that we don't have a lot of new antibiotics coming onto the market and there's a lot of kind of unfortunate economics involved in that mm. because they're not very profitable they don't make the first few antibiotics that were made, they were what we would call broad spectrum and you could treat you you know, could use the same drug to treat lots of infections. But we got, you know, resistance emerged and now you kind of have to go for one one drug for one one bug for want of a better expression. And that's um is is not as profitable. And so a lot of the drug companies just stopped making new antibiotics and stopped, you know, they shut down their antibiotic development um Pipelines, and um, so we have a big dearth of maybe 20, 25 years where there were no new antibiotics developed, um, and we've just been slowly running out of the ones that we have. So, finding, you know, in- incentivizing companies to make mm. new drugs is really critical, but they they're they're beholden to their shareholders. So, um if it's not, you know, why make a drug that doesn't make any money for your shareholders? I mean, that's is obviously the cynical viewpoint, but that that's 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 a huge problem.
2: Yeah, and that sounds like a. Um... Uh, you know, a very capitalistic uh, problem. But yeah. unfortunately, I think we are we we do seem to be grappling with that. And you're absolutely right. I think it's a, a but this is a public health concern. So, um, yeah. it, it, you know, you mentioned uh, Bill Gates and Melinda Foundation. There must be other foundations. So yeah. uh, I don't think, or would I be wrong to say that there would be good amount of funding available to do this kind of research or no?
7: There's good, there's, 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 I mean, I think it's, re, it's it's quite good. It's not, you know, of the, the, it, it's still, there's a funny sort of lack of sexiness about, uh, for want of a better expression, about mm. microbiology. You know, a lot of people will, will would rather study cancer or they'd rather study, you know, something a bit more exotic. And so it's, it's not the most glamorous of um, research pathways, even though it's critically important, because actually, it's a huge problem, people, you know, if you're if you unfortunate enough to have cancer, you will be given antibiotics probably numerous times to try and help protect you from infections or, so it's critical to everything. Um, but in terms of um, funding, there, there, there is some, it's getting better. I think we're getting a better understanding of it, but it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's a challenge for sure because there are um, other, you know, it's a small pot of money and it's got to be divided up in however it, it can.
2: Ruth, thank you very, very much for joining us. Really a pleasure speaking to you. Have a lovely weekend ahead and peace be with you.
7: Thank you very much. Good
2: night. Good night. Bye-bye. And on that note, our brother here... Peace with you. Before you both,
1: you break. even start. It's I was just before, look, it's just the way you look to me. All, done. I, All, I almost All I did was cough. All I did was call. And we haven't okay. played Friday yet. And both of you looked at me yes, like I'm about it, to drop yeah. dead for crying no, out loud. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I'll like give you a long yeah, No, like, Here we go. No and antibiotics no, for you. No, no, a, David, no. I was about to say, <laughs> you know, this is
2: a resistance <laughs> to antibiotics. Yeah, you're old and obviously you're frail. So yeah. we <laughs> understand that. Um, we respect that. You're the only man on
1: this earth who will refer to me as frail.
2: It's your age. It's not the physical. Says the man who's two
0: years younger than me. Wise, wise, wise. Says the man who's
1: two years younger
0: than me. We say wise with his... Right. Looks okay. and beards yeah, so I was gonna I knew there was an age yes, attack. You were going I knew there say, was an age attack right, coming. You, you wanna say something before I have my crack at you. No no go for no, it. No no okay. you no. Know. No, not like this. Since when did
1: you need you need permission this to is, take a crack yeah. at me?
0: <laughs> you see, I've been taught to respect the elders, exactly. all right? Me so, too, which is why today for the first time Always. I th- I I thought to seek your permission. One hundred percent. Anyways, before our next guest thinks we're just, you know, a bunch of crazy people here speaking on the radio. Um We are talking about antibiotic resistance, and as uh, I think it was Sally in the beginning, she mentioned that um, the, the, the Eng- according to the English Surveillance Program for Antimicrobial Utilization and Resistance, during the pandemic, actually, the total number of bloodstream infections fell in 2020 for the first time since 2016. Brother Kium, you mentioned this as well. Yep. And I think from the very get-go, we want to make sure that antibiotics should only be taken or prescribed when needed. For example, treat bacterial infections such as sepsis, meningitis, pneumonia. And please, please, please make sure that you do consult your GP. Make sure... That he or she is aware of what you are doing or taking or, or, you know, if you decide to take that. That's a very big, huge disclaimer that we want to put out there. Now, our next guest for today is based at the Center for Tropical Medicine and Global Health at the University of Oxford, uh, Oxford uh, Professor Christiane uh, Dolacek. And she's one of the founding members of the Gram Project and leads a group that studies antibiotic resistance and antibiotic use worldwide. So I think the question of the WHO, we can probably ask to her as well. Um, Professor Christiane, thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to the Draft Time sure. Show. Peace be upon you.
4: Good afternoon, and thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, but I do apologize if I didn't.
4: Absolutely correct. Very good.
0: I like to hear that. Um, Now, are there any specific regions or uh, environments where this antibiotic resistance is more prevalent? Are we talking about the developed world? Is that something that that we primarily have to deal with, or is this a global phenomenon?
4: Yes. So, um, you know, this is a global problem and antibiotic resistance is found worldwide. And there is, you know, every region has a problem uh, with antibiotic resistance, but we see some variation here. So generally speaking, uh, it is sort of, uh, you know, in relation to a bit less common in uh, countries. Um, like Europe, North America, Japan and Australia and generally speaking where you've got a good health care system and a strong regulator and uh, it is uh, more of a problem more common in countries uh, with with a weak regulator so where you have uh, Mm -hmm. antibiotics over the counter without prescriptions so these countries typically have higher antibiotic use and also resistance. Um, and uh, this is uh, most reasons in uh, South Asia and Southeast Asia. And uh, underneath there's a sort of factor is sort of weak regulation. Most countries have laws in place, but it's an implementation issue. And Um, There's also a sort of economic factor that, Mm. uh, you know, there's a real lack of universal health care. So, you know, it is cheaper to go to the pharmacy in certain regions and buy the antibiotics over the counter. And uh, rather than, you know, seeing a doctor, having a consultation, and then also having a lab test and paying for this out of pocket, you know, we're lucky in the UK and elsewhere, we've got the NHS and other countries have universal health care. But uh, you know, globally, uh, this is uh, lacking.
2: Professor Dolczyk, if this is a global problem, and we can all agree that, that it is, um, is there a con- do you see a concerted global effort to deal with this problem, this challenge?
4: Yes, yeah, I, I certainly do. So the uh, WHO has in uh, 2015 published its global action plan on EMR and on antibiotic resistance. And all countries have action plans in place. Actually, there's now the certain sect, the second set already of action plans, the renewal of those action plans going on because they last for five years. And, uh, you know, there are sort of ambitious uh, action plans uh, in place, but some countries, and, and these are typically uh, poorer countries, countries that we call the low-income countries, have often, uh, and more often than not, uh, problems with financing those action plans.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, because... Uh, you know the action having an action plan is uh, is all good and fine but i you know in terms of implementation in many of the uh, developing world in, in the global south so to say i i don't think that you know this i don't see this action plan being implemented
4: yeah, I mean it's um, you, you know you. Uh, I mean, in terms
2: that of, that. for example, antibiotics, as I was saying to to uh, the earlier guest, they're, they're easily, readily available in many countries off the shelf.
4: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the over the counter use. Yeah. That that is really such su- such a big problem, and uh, you know it seems progress on this in certain countries seems to be slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Okay. So unfortunately. How, so how do you think um Professor Dolcher, can we strike a balance between um using anti- antibiotics, uh, let's say here in the West, I mean, let's take the global south out of the discussion, to treat infections and also minimizing the risk of of resistance?
4: Yeah, I mean, there are two things, so antibiotics are life-saving drugs. Hmm. And you know they underpin everything in modern medicine. You know it is cancer treatment, routine surgery, premature babies, and you know we need to protect and respect those drugs and only use them when they are needed, and otherwise they shouldn't be used. And uh, you know how to minimize the risk of resistance. So the uh, WHO recommends as an approach uh, to reduce the number of infections. Uh, we just we uh, you know to counterbalance resistance, we need to have less infections. So uh, you know tools here are vaccinations, hygiene, uh, good infection control in hospitals. And really important, uh, having clean water and sanitation. So it touches again on uh, low and middle income countries.
2: Professor Dolcich, do you think there is a case here to maybe consider alternative therapies as well, like herbal, homeopathy, acupuncture?
4: Um, I really think you know you know antibiotics are life-saving drugs. You know if you've got a serious bacterial infection you need um, otherwise you really run the risk of developing sepsis
2: sure no no my question was that you know a lot of people resort to antibiotics um, in the first instance Um, so instead of doing that as a knee-jerk reaction and going to your GP and assisting for one should we not promote (coughs) alternative therapies like you know simple gargling for example if you have a bad, bad throat gargling with salt for example or um, uh, or using homeop- homeopathy or or something like that.
4: Um, I I think you know for the um, antibiotics in the UK uh, you only get them sort of by prescription, and um, I, I think you know if you've got a viral infection, you know, drinking tea, drinking lots of teas, and mm. and having some sort of complementary therapies, if like this uh, is, is very good
2: yeah okay um, and finally Professor Dolchik uh, we've been talking about the challenges um, in terms of developing new antibiotics we've just uh, we we're talking to uh, to uh, the guest earlier about these challenges as well I mean apparently not, um, uh, not a lot of funding available and uh, this is something that big pharma doesn't want to invest in for various reasons how can we as a community, uh, or research community, overcome that challenge.
4: Um, I I think we really need uh, governments here. So, so you touched a very important pro- problem that
1: mm.
4: you know, antibiotics are not profitable for big yeah. pharma. Yeah. You know, you take them for seven days, whereas other drugs you take, uh, you, you know, perhaps for the rest of your life if it's you know reducing blood pressure or cholesterol. And, and then you know at the start you use them sparingly and then if resistance develops uh you know they might not be used anymore so this is really uh, the problem why we don't have uh pharmaceutical companies why they've pulled out of this market and uh, uh dame sally has touched on this on oh. those initiatives uh, to entice pharmaceutical companies to develop antibiotics because we really need new classes of antibiotics. We urgently, desperately need new classes of antibiotics, new antibiotics. And uh, to make this independent from the volume sold and, and have like a sort of Netflix uh, subscription. Mm, right. Uh, this is the Pastor Act that is being discussed in the US.
2: Right. Professor Christian Dolcek Thank you so very much. Really a pleasure and a delight to be speaking to you. Um, all the best with all the great work that you're doing. Peace be with you and have a lovely weekend ahead. Thank you
4: so much. and such a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
5: <clears throat>
2: so that was uh, Professor Christian Dolcek, uh who is based at the Centre for Tropical Medicine and Global Health at the University of Oxford.
0: All right. Now, coming to the end of today's program, we spoke about um, the question that we asked in the first half of the program about if what is happening in the Middle East, what is happening in Gaza, if that is, can we class this as a genocide? And we spoke about quite extensively to our guests, and we're very grateful to all of them uh, for this part, as well as for the previous part, uh, for their insight and for elaborating a little bit more on the questions that we had um, that the ICJ ruling, the probability of it being 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 a genocide and uh, that is for them to decide over the next coming years. but I think the question that we have to ask and what brother Hume you rightly so asked um, about right and wrong and we have to make that decision and I don't think there's any other other decision. Apart from which side is right and which side is wrong, that's not the question that we're asking. Um, actually, that, that is the question that we're asking. Well, my my point was,
1: the this all started. Do you condemn Hamas? Yeah. What has got? What's that got to do with condemning what is the atrocity away? of seventy five odd years? A a liberation. People are looking to be liberated from the oppressors who have taken over their land. I, why do I have to condemn Hamas to stand up for someone being oppressed? And that is a, that's what I meant by right or wrong in a very holistic manner, that it doesn't make sense. The, the narrative, the irrational narrative that the Western developed world seemed to be throwing out there on the, on the assumption that people are just going to believe it is ridiculous it's absurd that people would believe that and thank god for social media because before social media everybody was everybody would have just agreed yes you're correct but now the truth of what is happening out there it isn't the ICJ, it isn't Brother Daniel, Brother razor or me or anyone out here who's going to say whether there's a genocide happening or not. It isn't about what we can discuss and whether we can verbally sit here and agree or disagree. People can see every single human being on the face of this earth has one thing. A phone. Phone. And it is in in the palm of our hands. They are trying their best to
0: curtail but it will not happen i, I think this is the problem that uh, i was talking to someone about this uh, as well and they were saying that this is a problem that our uh, the elite and the leaders and the politicians have they are still in a different world they don't realize that <clears throat> the source of information that people have today and i think that doctor who was in gaza the, yes. the reconstructive plastic surgeon he was a on another uh, radio station just the other day, and th- and that's th- he was asked this question. He he said that this is the new generation doesn't take their news from LBC, from BBC, from from BBC, and from from from, Sky, from mainstream, from, from mainstream, media. From mainstream yeah. media. They don't sit down and watch the telly, <clears throat> the news at nine or news at ten or whatever. They just don't do that. They don't have the time for that. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Brother Hume just offered me very kindly <laughs> his... Is that, is that uh, sh- the, the mineral water? It is mineral water. Yeah, yes. that's... that's uh, in 10 years' time, I'll try taking that. Olden um, Says, um, says, says, uh, says uh, the German. Says, says the German, yeah, exactly, yeah. Hey, I, Not, I, I, I can't really I, call myself a German anymore either. Anyways, so they were saying that he, the, the next generation doesn't take their news from these major news outlets, and the, which is why you see this consistency and support. Did you notice I mean how we're talking about 12, 12 112 days or something 112 <clears throat> days but it it hasn't basically um gone the the level of of engagement of the of the of the youth of the next generation or and other other people as well it it hasn't faded it's still where it was at the beginning of, of this conflict. Mm. And I think this is because of social media and the constant stream of information that they're getting from social media and having different approaches and different views that enables them to make that opinionated uh, that that uh, that informed opinion and informed decision to keep going with this cause. And that is something that should give us a little bit hope, but again what we want to say and what his holiness elaborated upon and spoke about and he said, if Western countries have stopped their aid, and we're talking about this Andra issue as well, why haven't the Muslim countries, with all resources, made this announcement that they will provide this aid? Andra have announced that if they do not receive help, then they will not be able to provide aid after February. February has 28 days, and we are already on day two. That leaves us with almost three weeks. Three weeks after which aid will not be able to be provided by Andra, and what's going to happen after that? Only God knows. Brother Daniel, you got a minute? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just sad.
2: Brother unfortunately, Daniel, it's, a, it's wait,
0: a, wake up. It's live radio. Okay. No, it is. <laughs>
2: is. Is it getting to no, you? No, I was I was <laughs> thinking about you know how how desperate thinking? the situation okay. is and and what actually uh, needs to be done pronto, and 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 yet we see deafening silence from. From all Muslim countries, mm. nobody—not a single one. Uh, what to speak of uh, the um, uh, the, petri- the ones with petrodollars? What to speak of the one with, uh, ones with ones with palm oil? What to speak of the ones with other resources? Unfortunately, nobody has actually stepped up and and said that yes, we will come and we will backfill this mm. uh, 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 this aid. Very sad.
1: I think it's also um, worth mentioning when we spoke to our first guest. Uh, uh, oh sorry yes, oh, yes. No. I, I'll stop no here. more I, I'll comments let, I'll, yeah, let, yeah, I'll no. let brother it's, it's, it's
0: very difficult to see from that distance yes, it I is. think uh, two feet <laughs> at, at his any- age anyway <laughs> There we go. That was the Friday show. We are completed in our mission. We want to th- say thank you to Nadia Anwar and Mari Ahmed for their support and for their research today and for their production as well as to our brother in the tech department, Brother Akib, And, of course, to you, our dear, dear listeners. We will be back on Monday, inshallah, from us here at The Voice of Islam. Take care of yourself. Have a lovely evening and a good weekend. As-salamu alaykum.